Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Well, hello there and welcome to this episode of RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, coming to you from the great state of Nebraska. And what a pleasure it is to bring these series to you so that you can learn more about hot topics by nurses for nurses. Except today, we're going to bring you a part three of a series that we've been bringing to you in relationship to burnout and resiliency. And this is in partnership with the Midwest Mental Health Technology Transfer Center, which is housed here in the Monroe Meyer Institute of UNMC. And to do this, we've brought Dr. Liebsack, who is a child clinical psychologist and an assistant professor at Monroe Meyer Institute, and Dr. Jordan Thayer, who does postdoc work in psychology for pediatrics as a fellow with the Monroe Meyer Institute. And again, this is part three of the series that they are bringing to you based on their research and burnout strategies that they've developed in their work. So to do this, we're bringing our co-host, Renee Paulin, to the show, and she's going to facilitate this discussion with you and with our special guests. So, Renee, thank you so much. Let's get started. This is Renee Paulin, and I'm honored to chat again with expert guests from MHTTC, Drs. Brittany Liebsack and Jordan Thayer. Dr. Liebsack is a child clinical psychologist and an assistant professor at the Monroe Meyer Institute, as well as a faculty trainer for the Mid-America MHTTC. Dr. Jordan Thayer is a trauma-focused cognitive behavioral psychologist who is also with MHTTC, where he assists with program development and consultation, as well as provides his expertise between clinical practice within the school and pediatric clinical settings. They are here today to help guide us to a healthy well-being in reframing negative experiences into positive strengths. This is much needed amidst COVID that has created many life challenges, heartache, stress, anxiety, and so on. No one was ready for this, and now we must be sure to take care of ourselves. So thank you both for coming together to chat with us today on RN Huddle. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely happy to be back. So our listeners are well aware of the high prevalence of anxiety and depression within all communities after the onset of the pandemic. But what are your thoughts on how we should approach or how do you approach individuals when assisting with reframing those negative thoughts or experiences? Well, I think one of the first things I've, I've been leaning on is providing some amount of like knowledge and understanding and like norming of what's going on for kind of everybody. And not, not to say that like your individual experience then doesn't matter because everybody's dealing with this, but more like, Hey, you're part of a, uh, you know, a nationwide global, uh, wide mm-hmm. like experience. And here's kind of what we're seeing. So I think, I think starting off with just part of the reframe is, Let's just talk about what's what's going on. Let's just make it sure that we understand just kind of like what everything's happening. We just have to listen, be, be good listeners at first in order to approach it. Yeah, I mean, we know that this is like a global experience and and that the that struggling with it has been a really global experience. So there's been a lot of data that's come out um, recently that shows that 
many adults are reporting, you know, more anxiety and depression since the pandemic. And so that normalizing of it is really important. And it's really easy to do, too, because it is very normal. Absolutely. You're not alone type of thing. And what exactly is triggering that increase in anxiety and depression that we are seeing clinically? What does the data show? Yeah, so I I can tell you the numbers on the data. And then I think the reasons why are just really diverse. And we can definitely speak to some of them. But um, one CDC study that came out recently showed that um, they compared depression and anxiety rates across adults from January through June of 2019 to December of 2020. And previously, the rates were 11% of adults reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. And then in December mm-hmm. of 2020, it was 42% of all adults. That oh, wow. is a lot. Yeah. That is a tremendous increase. It is a tremendous increase. It's like if you've got two friends, roughly one of them is experiencing depression right now. It's kind of like one way to think about that. Um, hopefully most of us have two friends right now. I know with social distancing, it's been really hard to maintain those relationships. And I just wanted to jump in on like one one thing that Dr. Leapsack and I have talked about this, like potential factors for that. I think one is, I mean, we have, we have the social distancing. We have a lot of stuff. I think one right now that's really prevalent is just like honestly exhaustion with how long this has been going mm-hmm. on. You got some thoughts on that, Dr. Leapsack? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just a really interesting time right now, right? Because there's so much hopefulness because there's a vaccination, like schools and stores are open again. And some of us are starting to travel and see our families more again, but we're still in a pandemic and there's still a lot of uncertainty and fear and danger. And I think that can feel really frustrating for a lot of people. Like we kind of thought that we would be past this by now and, and we're not. And we kind of thought we might just kind of stop feeling so burned out and bounce back, but we're not. Yeah. And you know, that exhaustion that you speak of, you know, you just think about, you know, with all the quarantine procedures and, you know, thinking about families with children and their home with them when normally they maybe may had a family member that took care of the children and then they're trying to work on top of it. Just that added stress of not having like the support they may had before that and how draining that can be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then there are added stressors of, yeah, my kids are going back to school, but I'm worried about them going back to school and all of those things as well. Yeah. I was just saying that's just, the schools are just one example of things that are leading to anxiety and depression. We could go down a laundry list of, you know, sociopolitical context, economic reasons right now with like the inflation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. And I think I think everyone kind of like, it's totally understandable if you're dealing with these symptoms. Mm-hmm. But I guess then, I guess the question is, how do we handle those situations? Like the anxiety that comes with it. How do we recognize our own anxiety and, you know, and instead utilize that energy for productivity? Yeah, absolutely. And we want to speak to that with anxiety and with depression a little bit too. Um, and so you know, because anxiety can be really healthy and good. It's normal. Like mild anxiety can make you more alert and focused and help you face the, you know, challenging circumstances. And so we really want to talk about that too. And yeah, we know this can flow into depression too, right? So Mm -hmm. 
What strategies can you share with our listeners? What about when anxiety or depression are become too impairing? Yeah, absolutely. And we certainly want to talk more about like, how do you know if this is like helpful or adaptive anxiety or depression or like something that I, I might need to seek more support for? And so I can talk about anxiety for a little bit. And then um, Dr. Thayer, can you talk about sort of depression for a little bit? Of course, love to. And so we know that while anxiety related to feeling threatened, like leaves us kind of feeling scared and we need to be safe, there's also anxiety related to feeling driven. And that leaves us like striving for or aspiring to be better. And so really kind of noticing that and building on that can be really helpful. It helps us be more alert, more focused, more motivated to do things. And I don't have any data on this, but I kind of wonder sometimes if healthcare professionals kind of skew to being a little bit more anxious than the average person. Um, I don't know what your guys' personal perspectives are on that. And this is just my personal opinion, but I feel like a lot yeah, of Yeah, there's layers to that, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> anxious when they're working clinically? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%, yeah. And then you know, a lot of times they say, well, you do your shift, you know, you, you know, you're done type of thing. Not necessarily, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you have those experiences, you know, you have the empathy for others and, and, you know, a lot of healthcare workers become close to these individuals and families. So yeah, anxiety definitely has these different layers. And like you said, you, we need to recognize that and be able to recognize it and know what to do. Mm-hmm. So because of the depression plays a factor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just like you said, some people with helpful anxiety, they get their work done. They get it done on time. They double check themselves. They worry about other people and care about the health and safety of others. That's why they choose to do the job that they do. And then a lot of, for a lot of us too, especially since the beginning of the pandemic, our anxiety is related to that feeling of uncertainty. Um, And there are some things that we can do to cope with and decrease those feelings too. And so one recommendation kind of specifically related to that, that I think can be kind of fun and is maybe like a a quick takeaway for people is there are some people who are totally okay with uncertainty and they find it really easy to embrace new experiences. Some of us have a harder time with that. And then some people used to be really good at that, but then, you know, having a kid or working a stressful job, or living through a Mm -hmm. pandemic, like made it way harder. And so one thing that I like to recommend is just practicing embracing that uncertainty in life. And, And you can do that by like planning and doing some gradual exposures on your own, exposing yourself to certain uncertain events on purpose. So that can be like really easy things like walking or driving a different route to or from work, or trying a new workout class or another activity that you've kind of avoided in the past or talking to someone that you don't know and just making trying new things a regular part of your life and kind of building on the positive anxiety that comes along with that. Good advice. Just get out there and just create some positivity is kind of what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and expose yourself to things that are kind of harder for you. And then you get to learn that you can do that and that 
it's fun. Some of them might not be fun. You might try a workout class that you hate, right? But that you, um, you know, that uncertainty is okay. Yeah, I like to think of it almost as like inoculation against uncertainty and the anxiety that comes with it. Once when you get really used to that and, and not necessarily like, I wouldn't say okay with uncertainty, but finding a way to kind of stay grounded and self-soothe in uncertainty, I think is a way to then to find your flow, if you will, in moments like now where we're 18 months into a pandemic and not really sure what's going on. Um, and that's, that's like on the bigger scope, but then even in your day-to-day, you know, we don't always necessarily know what's going on. And so that's a way to take that anxiety. I totally agree. And just get used to using it to fuel new experiences or comfort you know it, it's a weird way to kind of like view anxiety as comforting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's definitely a new relationship but when it. when and how is it time to seek help yeah so i think on that i kind of want to help set up maybe a potential like dichotomy a little bit on yeah the good and the when it's impairing and i'll talk to you kind of depression on that because i think one thing that dr leapsack was really setting up was a lot of this comes from the framing that we have around certain experiences and the way that like you and I, uh, all of us right now are talking about anxiety and depression kind of creates those frames. And so within depression, then like kind of one frame that I want to offer is that depression can actually be a positive as well as anxiety. And we'll talk about how to distinguish between the two, but here's, here's kind of like the way that I like to think about it. Depression and anxiety both tend to be comorbid. They're, they're often highly related with one another and they're experienced simultaneously or kind of in this like cyclical pattern. And it makes a lot of sense, actually, if we think about what is anxiety doing, which is anxiety is your, your senses, like your awareness of everything around you is on all the time. Your, your focus and your attention is on the immediate surroundings, maybe also like your personal life and concerns about the future. And there's just like a lot of concerns. And then at some point in time, when that becomes unhealthy, when it's happening for a long period of time, you know, diagnostically, if we're going to talk about that, we're not necessarily talking about like a diagnosis of anxiety, but when we're working with somebody, we look at like, have you been experiencing anxiety for like six months? Or has this been like most days? Are you preoccupied and ruminating on these thoughts? And after a while, like if you're six months into daily preoccupation with your safety or the safety of others, um, your future and things like that. Depression can actually kind of be a way to kick in and say, you know what, I'm going to pull you back. You haven't been sleeping a whole lot because you're ruminating. So now we're going to have you sleep a little bit more. You've been worried about so much. So I'm actually going to pull back like evolutionary. I'm going to be a defense mechanism. I'm going to pull back on all your worries and you're kind of going to be blah for a little bit. You know, that's actually where your body kind of shuts down. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you know what, we need to reset. And so I'm going to reset by implementing some depression. That's not exactly how it is, but that's a way to think about it. And kind of the relationship is depression can actually be a healthy, functional response to over anxiety. And so when we have that, when we have that frame, you know, if you're going through it, it's, I think one thing to kind of a practice is to pause and kind of figure out what have I been freaking out about and super anxious about. And then is that kind of maybe the reason why I'm feeling these, you know, feelings of depressed mood and maybe kind of like apathy and a little bit of pessimism and be okay with that for a little bit. And like, that's okay. And maybe that is kind of the reset you need. And then after that, start reconnecting with maybe people that are important to you, activities that are important and kind of build yourself back into it gradually rather than jumping full board. Now, when, when it can become impairing, overly impairing, 
is when, again, we're looking at a long-term duration where it's also impairing important things in your life. If you're completely withdrawing from all relationships, for example, if you're unable to even do kind of like basic hygiene and kind of care for yourself, and that happens for too long, again, diagnostically, we look at about two weeks, that's when we start kind of saying, eh, you might want you might want to consider at this point maybe connecting with somebody because you've reset, but you're kind of resetting for a very long time. And maybe you just need a little bit of help now shifting out of that. What if someone, you know, waits too long to be able to recognize that and know it's okay. It's okay to go see someone. It's okay to go someone and just talk things out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Dr. Thayer and I are both psychologists and therapists. And so, yes, we want people mm-hmm. to seek out treatment when they need it. And just to be really clear, like we're kind of using depression, and anxiety, um, a little bit loosely here. And, and what we are kind of talking about as um, more adaptive is like the experience of having anxiety and the experience of having a lower depressed mood and some of the symptoms that come mm-hmm. with it. But like Dr. Thier was talking about, like it really depends on duration and it really depends on like the frequency that you're experiencing these things and the intensity like how distressing mm-hmm. is your worry or mood? Is it getting in the way of you living the life that you want? Is it affecting your social life or your work or other areas of your life? If the answer to any of those things is yes, then it's a good time to get more support. Because sometimes if you have anxiety, you're kind of, I don't know, it kind of barricades you a little bit from thinking outside anxiety level. So yeah, absolutely. We know that like one main part of anxiety is avoidance, right? And so you're avoiding situations that make you anxious. And, you know, for a lot of people seeking treatment is one of those things, especially if they've never done it before, it can be scary. And so, yeah, so we wanted to speak to just some really sort of logistical recommendations. If you get to that point where, hey, I, this has been going on for a long time, it's happening almost every day. It's happening for most of the day. I need more support. And so a really good place to start is by talking to your primary care physician or nurses at your primary care office. Um, that's actually where a lot of people first bring it up. Mm-hmm. And that's a great place to start. And they can help point you in the right direction. And Dr. Thayer and I have actually both worked within primary care settings as behavioral health providers, because it makes so much sense to see healthcare professionals for both your physical and mental health in the same place. There are some other sort of places that people can look online as well. So the APA or American Psychological Association has a psychologist locator so that you can find like a list of people in your area. And you can also search for therapists on psychologytoday.com. And then we also really want to encourage people to ask people for recommendations. Like if you have a colleague or a family member who has gotten treatment and found it helpful, ask them who they saw talk about it. The whole healthcare workforce is overworked right now. So the reason that I'm listing so many options is because it's good to cast a wide net. Yeah, I think it's good to be kind of like very honest right now in this episode of just what what the demands are for mm-hmm. mental partly why one of the things we want to do is help people in this discussion, like understand the difference between kind of like that adaptive versus impairment. And again, a lot of it does kind of come down to duration and intensity after a while, but also it like, it's just an unfortunate 
a fact that a lot of us in mental health roles are overloaded and we have wait lists that are really long. And so one of the right. solutions for that, for the individual is just, as Dr. Leapside was saying, just spread out, like recognizing that this is maybe a support you need, then just contact as many people and as many as like agencies and communities that you can. And don't, don't be afraid to just get on those wait lists and go and get whatever you need um, and find what you need. And then once when that happens, you know, our kind of standard encouragement is to make sure you like you double check on like fit that you actually jive with the person and that their approach kind of aligns with you and that you feel like especially like they're going to be culturally responsive and all of those things certainly matter what especially when it comes to impairment and trying to like just shift you out i also want to kind of share then a little bit of i think optimism which is that one of the therapeutic approaches that i use we call it it's called fact uh, and it's basically the, the goal of it is oftentimes to get somebody what we can say, you know, shifting out of that kind of reset mode within a session. Now, sometimes it takes more. It definitely does. And so I want to encourage everybody to go in that first session is oftentimes kind of like an intake and you're quickly just kind of like learning about each other and then give it a shot. You might be surprised what one or two sessions can do and then keep talking with your provider after that if you kind of, if you need more, but it, it sometimes maybe only will take a couple of sessions to get you going. And I think that makes it worth it to give it a shot and see where it's going to go. One other thing, perhaps if you're working in a healthcare role, especially actually at UNMC, there is this thing that has been in development for a while now called the adult resilience curriculum, which is a self-paced online curriculum or program for wellness promotion. And it's one thing that's kind of nice about it is that it's entirely focused on just what research actually shows helps and has a few different tips and techniques and activities, a variety of things that you can try to do to just incorporate into your daily, like professional, but also personal life. And then there's also encouragement and strategies for how to connect with others to use some of the stuff in there. And a lot of it's going to be things you're familiar with and some things that might be new. And so it's kind of a nice little reminder, but also then again, further guidance and support on how to implement some of these broader well-being and wellness practices. And so that's an offer. It's again, available for free online and there's, you know, videos with it and handouts and all sorts of kind of stuff. Um, there's also a podcast. If you just kind of want to also continue to talk, we had the burnout busters podcast, which is here to actually about to start season two and it's recording. And so there's some information in the burnout busters for some of that as well. Um, so there's a couple other things that you can do if you feel like you or maybe, maybe somewhat in that kind of adaptive, maybe potentially heading into the impairment and you just want to be able to be more preventative about it and turn that anxiety or that depression into a very positive and kind of um, productive experience, then those things might be also useful resources while you are looking for some like further support. Thank you so much both for sharing and thank you both for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be on. appreciate the tools. Yeah, these tools are, they're very, they're great that you provided us to help turn our perceived weaknesses into strengths. So, so these strategies discussed can be used on a daily basis, especially when feeling overwhelmed and having difficulty being productive. To our listeners out there who are feeling the, the even slightest need to seek help or just need to talk to someone, please visit our site on RN Huddle with a list of resources. Our guest today will also provide some contacts or resources, those links that were mentioned to assist you or loved ones in any way. The power of reframing may not be easy at first, but in the long run can help turn some of those negative thoughts into something good. Find some me time and replenish your well-being. 
Listeners, take a listen to other podcasts with MHTTC and look forward to some additional hot topics. Stay tuned and see you next time. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for that discussion, Dr. Thayer and Dr. Liebsack. Thank you so much for everything that you've done to bring this great work to us. And thank you to our co-host, Renee Pollan, for facilitating the discussion today. And also thank you to MHTTC and to the Monroe Meyer Institute for supporting this work and really being the drivers of its dissemination. And lastly, thank you to you, our listeners, for being attentive and for tuning in to each episode of RN Huddle. Until next time, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.